This is the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, November 10th, 2020. I'm your host, Coda Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. First off, happy DJ-a-thon. On today's show, I'll be updating you on campus and local news, and then we'll be hearing from CSU professor Tom Hobbs about the newly passed Proposition 114, which was designed to reintroduce gray wolves to Colorado. I'll be delivering some national news, then Ivy will be giving us an explanation about Amendment B as part of our series covering each of Colorado's newly approved ballot measures. Following that, we'll be hearing from Natalie Wayland from the Collegian about new funding for the Native American Cultural Center here at CSU. To conclude the show, Cuddle will be giving some updates on COVID-19, and I'll update us on the strange things happening in the world. Let's move right into local and campus news with Ethan Hansen. This is Ethan Hansen reporting the weekday news for 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. The November 3rd CSU Senate session saw debate over three bills. The COVID-19 Indigenous Travels Grant was introduced by student Senator Lindsay Osterhout and aims to provide money to Indigenous students seeking to return home over the long break who cannot afford to. According to the Rocky Mountain Collegian, Osterhout remarked that Indigenous communities were hit the hardest by COVID-19 because they did not receive funding from Congress' COVID-19 relief bill, the CARES Act. Debate took place as some in the Senate believed that the money unfairly prioritizes one marginalized community within the student body. In response, senators pointed to the specific ways which indigenous students are taken advantage of by the school and left behind by funding. According to the Collegian, Marlise Hazelton, chair for the International Affairs Committee, explained, quote, It's going to significantly help a small amount of students who have been taken advantage of for a very long period of time, especially by academia, end quote. Other bills introduced were Senator Diego Tovar's establishment of the ACSU Diversity and Inclusion Caucus as a standing body, which seeks to create an open caucus of CSU students seeking to, quote, progress diversity and inclusion initiatives across campus, end quote, according to the text of the bill. Lastly, Senator Kyle Hill introduced the Stage 1 Transportation Security Camera Bill, which seeks to take $10,500 from the Senate Discretionary Fund in order to pad the cost of funding security cameras and signs to protect bike stands, according to the Collegian. According to the Fort Collins government, on November 5th, Fort Collins police discovered the body believed to be Jonathan Crossley, the main suspect of a stabbing which took place on the 4th in Laurie State Park. Just after 5 p.m., police arrived at the scene of a stabbing in the 200 block of Tiger Catway. Crossley fled the scene while the victim was transported to the hospital with serious injuries where she is expected to recover. Police have determined that Crossley knew the victim and broke into her residence, attacked her, then fled. On the evening of November 4th, Crossley's vehicle was located in Laurie State Park, and on the afternoon of the 5th, a body, believed to be Crossley, though yet to be confirmed by the coroner, was found. According to the Fort Collins government, starting on Monday, November 9th, transport will be limiting the capacity of seated buses to half. Although the city of Fort Collins advises riders to plan ahead for their trips and avoid travel during peak travel periods, Transport will be running trailer buses to help service high-use routes. Information for peak periods on specific routes can be found at ridetransport.com. According to Larimer County, on November 6, Larimer County damage assessment teams have completed assessments of all structure damage caused by Cameron Peak Fire. 461 structures, including residential structures and outbuildings, were destroyed. 17 business structures were impacted, including the Shambhala Mountain Meditation Center. In the midst of this hurt, I am so proud of the deputies, firefighters, and a variety of other officers from many law enforcement agencies 
who heroically evacuated thousands and thousands of people and made sure that no one felt the pain of losing a loved one to this fire, said Sheriff Justin E. Smith. This is Ethan Hansen from KCSU Fort Collins. For more local and university news, tune in from 4 to 5 p.m. Tuesdays and Thursdays for the Rocky Mountain Review. Again, that was Ethan Hansen, a newscaster here at KCSU. We'll be right back with an interview with CSU professor Tom Hobbs. If you are a current CSU student and would like to be a part of KCSU FM, go to kcsufm.com backslash training to be a live DJ, podcaster, or reporter. This is 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I am joined by Tom Hobbs, Professor Emeritus at the Department of Ecosystem Science and Sustainability at CSU. He's here to talk with us today about Proposition uh, 114, that the recently passed Colorado ballot measure that was designed to begin reintroduction efforts for the gray wolf into Colorado. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Um, so for my first question I wanted to ask, uh, while Proposition 114 has indeed passed, uh, in it there weren't any specifics in how the reintroduction efforts would look. Instead, the proposition's language says no. that a plan to reintroduce the wolves would be developed. So I want to ask, uh, based on other reintroduction efforts, what the reintroduction efforts would look like. Well, um, I can speak best about the Yellowstone case, which um, uh, it happened in 1996 and 1997, and it, it was tremendously successful, I'm sure, as you know. Um, uh, there were a couple of dozen uh, individuals introduced there, and now, of course, the population, I don't, I don't know what it currently is now, but it, it grew exponentially and really thrived. What they did in Yellowstone was they brought wolves from Canada, and then they put them in pens, uh, for I think it was as much as a year, um, where uh, so that they would become familiar, somewhat familiar with the environment. These were large enclosures, uh, and that the idea for doing that, of course, was to discourage them from simply turning around and heading north back to Canada. And it apparently was was really quite quite successful. Um, reintroducing. Um, Large mammals is something that wildlife management agencies tend to do very well. Uh, there are good examples in Colorado with moose, for 
for example. And I'm sure the professionals at the Colorado Parks and Wildlife will work out the, the uh, technical difficulties uh, associated with this. It's not as if this is, is, um, uh, is something that hasn't been done and they can't learn from other cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so for my second question, um, the gray wolf has been gone from Colorado for um, nearly 80 years now. Uh, so what do you think the possible impact will be on Colorado ecosystems uh, when the wolves are introduced? You know, I, I um, again, I think um, we've learned a tremendous amount from the reintroduction of wolves into Yellowstone. And some of that is applicable to Colorado. And I think some of it is not. So why don't I, why don't I do this? I'll, I'll talk a bit about what we learned in Yellowstone. And then I'll turn specifically to Colorado and say, well, what is the, the, the intense scientific scrutiny and study that went on in Yellowstone? How can that inform the Colorado case? And so, um, uh, to put it simply, the uh, what we learned in Yellowstone was that the removal of um, wolves in the early 1900s uh, did have profound impacts on uh, the ecosystems there, particularly the woody deciduous plant communities like willows along stream courses and and aspens. So that's nobody argues about that. These were enormous effects. Uh, Virtually all reproduction of aspen and willow was stopped during the period from early 1900s uh, until um, the wolves were uh, were reintroduced, and there, you you may have seen in the popular press and on some YouTube videos that wow, once the wolves were reintroduced, everything was made better. The plants started to grow, and the rivers were improved, and on and on and on. Well, our team has been studying those effects. Um, uh, sponsored by the National Science, Find- Science Foundation for the last 20 years. And really, it's, it's just not true. There haven't been restorative effects, um, rapid restorative effects of wolves on degraded ecosystems in Yellowstone. And the reason is really simple. The reason is that the changes that um, occurred after the wolves were removed are pretty stable. Um, The loss of beavers, the change in morphology in streams. So um, we're not seeing a really quick restoration uh, uh, of those plant communities in Yellowstone, as you might have been led to believe by the popular press. It's just not, it's a story that's not based on science. Um, So another part, however, um, of of that Yellowstone story that I think probably will apply to Colorado um, is the effect of wolves on other predators, particularly um, coyotes. Um, I've heard it said that the coyotes had a bad time when the big dog arrived. (laughs) And it's true, their populations were really reduced by by, um, wolves. And that then trickled down, the loss of coyotes trickled down to communities of small mammals, which became more diverse and more abundant uh, as a result of the indirect effects of wolves on those uh, on those prey species of coyotes. So now let me turn to those two uh, uh, bits that we learned in Yellowstone and say, well, how do they apply to Colorado? Well, 
I would say, should we expect broad, uh, widespread changes in Colorado ecosystems, restorative type changes, uh, and I, uh, after the reintroduction of wolves? And I would say no. And there are two reasons. One, we didn't see it in Yellowstone, and and that was after uh, an enormous increase in the elk population, which was really what caused after the after wolves were extirpated. The elk populations grew to, grew to very high densities. Uh, and that's what caused the, the degradation of ecosystems. Well, that's, that hasn't happened in Colorado. I mean, elk have been managed scientifically here for a long time. And, and Colorado Parks and Wildlife does, in my opinion, about as scientific and, and reputable job of managing elk populations as anywhere in North America. And so elk populations have been kept in check. And so there haven't been the kind of enormous impacts on on plant communities that were seen in Yellowstone. So does that mean there won't be any impacts? I I think that's probably not true. Um, uh, But given that we didn't um, see them in Yellowstone after uh, uh, the populations of elk there grew to extremely high numbers and that populations of elk in Colorado have not, I don't expect that we'll see uh, large ecosystem effects. How about the effects on the food web, however, the the effects on um, uh, other predators in the ecosystem? I think we will see that. I think that the reintroduction of wolves is very likely to, to lead to, at least in local areas, a decline in coyote populations and as a result, um, at least based on the Yellowstone story, uh, an increase in the abundance and diversity of the prey of coyotes, small uh, mammals, and, and even birds. Um, so uh, I would not expect to see dramatic effects of reintroduction of wolves on ecosystems in Colorado, but we could see pretty large effects on food webs. Um, for my final question, uh, are there any resources you would like to highlight for listeners who would want to find out more or um, any social media that you would like to promote? Gosh, you know, I'm a, a, a social media troglodyte, so I, I, really don't, I really don't have any suggestions there. Uh, but if uh, we, I, of course, would be very much um, uh, I would encourage people to see the series of papers. If they do a search in Web of Science on Hobbs and Cooper, uh, they'll get all these. And that lays out what we've learned uh, about the restorative or lack thereof, the restorative impacts of reintroduction of predators on ecosystems in Yellowstone. Um, so uh, a quick search on uh, Hobbs and Cooper and Yellowstone perhaps will we'll turn those papers up. All right. uh, That is all I have today. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure being with you. Again, that was Professor Tom Hobbs discussing the position to reintroduce gray wolves in Colorado. We'll be right back. KCSU thanks Tribal Rights for their continued underwriting support. Tribal Rights is located on College Avenue in Old Town, Fort Collins, and is a full custom tattoo, body piercing, and jewelry studio. Learn more at tribalrightstattoo.com.
today we're going to be hearing from Natalie Whalen of the Collegian, who recently wrote an article about the Native American Cultural Center receiving new funding. If you're interested in reading her article, you can find it at collegian.com. All right, so can you tell us some of the basics about the donation to the NACC? For example, how much it is, what organization gifted it, and the legacy of that organization? Yeah, so it is a donation of $700,000, and it comes from the Ottens Foundation, which was founded in Arizona in the late 90s by John and Sophie Ottens. They're a philanthropist group that focuses a lot on um, Native American causes and higher education. Um, They've been donating to the NACC since about 2007, so they have done a lot of continuous support for the center. All right, thank you. What will the donation be used for? Um, So it's really just going to be used to fund kind of the myriad of programs that they do. Um, They do a lot of tutoring. They have a computer lab up there. Um, It's going to be used to pay their student employees. Um, They run a lot of retention programs, um, and it's... Um, When I talked to the director of the center, Ty Smith, he told me that this donation funds them for 10 plus years to come. So it's really going to set them up for success for a while. What are some other things that the NACC provides for indigenous students on campus? Um, So when I spoke to Ty Smith, he told me that really it's just a home away from home for their students. Um, Like I said, they do tutoring, they have a computer lab, and that's open to all CSU students. And um, further, they just offer a lot of academic support, cultural programs, that kind of thing just to kind of support the community. What are some of the events that the NACC is currently preparing to hold for Native American Heritage Month? Um, So on their website, they have a really great poster with some more information, but some examples. Um, On Thursday, they're hosting a keynote speaker event over Zoom. Um, This past weekend, they did an event for Bison Days just to celebrate the reintroduction of bison into the wild. And then later today, even, they have a discussion with some CSU scholars on their research with indigenous communities. So some really cool stuff. Awesome. Is there anything you'd like to add before we go? Um, I would just encourage everybody to check out the NACC and their website because they really do do a lot of awesome stuff for our community and deserve to be recognized for it. Again, that is Natalie Wayland of the Collegian. If you want to find out more about the Native American Cultural Center and what they do, you can visit them at nacc.colostate.edu. If you want to find more about Natalie's article, you can find her at collegian.com. Need to know how to fix your bike but don't know where to begin? The Hex Wenches at the Fort Collins Bike Co-op can teach you how to take care of your bike in an inclusive space during one of the educational series in the spring or fall. Hands-on classes are welcome to cis and trans women, non-binary, genderqueer, trans, and queer folks. More information can be found on their Facebook page, The Hex Wenches, or email hexwenches at gmail.com. As we are speaking in that last news article, we have KCSU here with their DJ Athon Week. It is a donation week long event that we do here biannually with KCSU. And if you are wanting to donate to KCSU to help Rocky Mountain Review expand our operation, you can do so by heading to kcsufm.com slash donate. We hope you are enjoying the Rocky Mountain Review. We'll be right back.
we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Kota Babcock, and this is National News Highlights for Tuesday. The head of the U.S. Department of Justice's Election Crimes Branch resigned Monday night. According to Bill Chappelle at National Public Radio, Richard Pilger's resignation was in protest of the Attorney General's authorization for prosecutors to investigate allegations of voter fraud by President Donald Trump. Pilger says that this authorization violated the DOJ's rules relating to interference with elections. In, the, in his resignation letter, Pilger said, quote, I must regretfully resign from my role as director of the elections crime branch. I've enjoyed very much working with you for over a decade to aggressively and diligently enforce federal criminal election law, policy, and practice without partisan fear or favor. I thank you for your support in that effort, end quote. He will temporarily be replaced by PIN Deputy Chief Robert J. Heavier. A 19-year-old man in, in Kenosha, Washington, or Kenosha, Wisconsin, has been charged for giving Kyle Rittenhouse a rifle. Kyle Rittenhouse, a 17-year-old from Illinois, was arrested this August after opening fire at a protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin. According to Bruce Viometti at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Dominic Black is currently charged with two counts of intentionally giving a dangerous weapon to a minor, resulting in death. When purchasing the rifle, Black signed paperwork indicating that the weapon was for his own use. This weapon was later used to fatally shoot two protesters, Joseph Rittenbaum and Anthony Huber. The rifle was only supposed to be used for hunting at Black's family property and was stored in his stepfather's house. During Rittenhouse's first court hearing, attorney Mark Mark Richards, attempted to argue that because it was intended for hunting, Rittenhouse fell into an exception allowed in Wisconsin law that would have allowed him to possess it, but this argument failed to dismiss Rittenhouse's charge of possessing a firearm as a minor due to the actions taken with the hunting rifle. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs has announced that all U.S. military veterans will now have access to all national parks and other federal lands, along with Gold Star families, which are immediate family members of a service member who died in conflict. According to Vanessa Romo at National Public Radio, the new service is being given both in honor of Veterans Day and the services done by those who serve on a regular basis. The current access passes to federal lands cost $80 annually, but veterans can get one for free by providing military identification or other proof of service. The Centers for Disease Controls is also, Control is also currently encouraging people to spend time outdoors to stay physically active during the pandemic. At least five justices of the U.S. Supreme Court have shown favorability towards protecting the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, from the most recent challenges received. According to Adam Liptak of the New York Times, both Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Kavanaugh have both voiced a level of support towards the Affordable Care Act, specifically a piece of it protecting people with pre-existing conditions. Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan have also voiced their support for the law, and it was unclear if Justice Barrett, the newest member of the Supreme Court, was in favor of removing or upholding the law. Removing the ACA would leave around 21.1 million people without insurance, according to an estimate from the Urban Institute. The ACA has allowed for access to affordable insurance, equal access for people with different health conditions, and for adult children to stay on their health plans until the age of 26. That's all for today's national news highlights. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on KCSU Fort Collins. We'll be right back. Hey there, my name is Shane Zweigart. I'm the technical manager at the Music District here in Fort Collins, Colorado. 
I love to listen to KCSU because it has the best variety and also the best up-and-coming new music that keeps me aware of hot new things out there. If I feel like I'm stuck in a rut of listening to the same music, it kind of pushes me out of that rut and gets me into something new, be it a electronic music or rock or hip-hop or something that I've never heard before, and I really like that. I appreciate being challenged a little. I was listening to KCSU one day, and I thought, my God, that song is super cool. It was this band Applesauce Tears, and it like totally blew my mind. I was like, what a weird name. And the song was like totally interesting. And I love listening to music that has different production ideas and just different tones and sounds that I'm not used to. And it was one of those moments where I was like, man, I love this radio station. They just play, you know, you wouldn't hear that anywhere else. I mean, I jump around from all the other radio stations and this has always got the most interesting collection of music to hear. The band that I play in is called Wire Faces. I am the drummer and the singer of it. I guess one of my favorite memories of KCSU is that I've been driving around late at night, like two or three in the morning, and I've heard my own band's music played on KCSU. And that's always that moment where I'm like, I want to tell one of the guys in the band, like, dude, they're playing our music. You got to listen. But then I'm like, oh, wait, it's 3 a.m. No one cares. But hey, at least they're playing it, you know, and uh, it still makes me very happy. I think KCSU is special because... You have young, fresh minds bringing whatever influences they had and from wherever they're from, if they're from Colorado, if they're from out of state, coming to this radio station and and trying to contribute to the programming. And I think that that creates some of the most diverse programming you're going to hear in, gosh, and probably in the whole state for the most part, you know, and there's just so many different influences I think that they're uh, bringing in here. I think that KCSU for the Fort Collins community is a sense of approachability and connectivity and also just a breath of fresh air. I mean, they're just always bringing something interesting to the airwaves. And I really appreciate that. It's one of those stations that I've been listening to since I was probably 16. And back then, always trying to see what's out there through the radio still, you know, you know, before internet music was really accessible, this radio station helped me find out about all kinds of great bands. I think that listeners should donate to KCSU because what else are you going to do with your life? Not donate? What's wrong with you? Come on. I think that is very valuable for this town to have KCSU, a student-run radio station where students can get hands-on experience with uh, making shows and uh, just touching people's lives and making cool uh, different playlists that, you know, enhance this town in ways that you wouldn't normally get. I mean, it's not every town that has a great student-run station like this and very lucky and fortunate for it. The election is coming to a close, and Colorado voters in 2020 voted for nearly every Colorado ballot measure. So we at KCSU have prepared a series of segments devoted to discussing the future impact of each of these ballot measures. Today, we'll be discussing the rationale behind and future implications of Amendment B, which was an initiative to repeal the Gallagher Amendment. The Gallagher Amendment was passed in 1982 and was designed to limit residential and non-residential property tax assessment rates so that the tax collected from non-residential properties could only amount to 55% of property taxes collected, while residential property taxes could only make up 45% of the rates. Property tax assessment rates are rates placed on property based on its assessed value. So, for example, say a property is worth $100,000 and the assessment tax rate for that property is 20%, that would mean that $20,000 of it is taxable. 
When the Gallagher Amendment was passed, the tax assessment rate for non-residential properties was at 29% of the assessed value of the property, while residential properties were at 21%. At that time, residential properties only made up 53% of the property value of Colorado, while non-residential property made up 47% of the value. However, due to a residential development boom over the last decade, this balance in value has significantly changed. Residential properties have grown to account for nearly 80% of the property value in Colorado, while non-residential properties make up around 20%. Because of this, and because of the Gallagher Amendment, the tax assessment rate for residential properties has shrunk to only 7.15%. Property tax revenue in Colorado is collected by local governments and funds county government, public schools, junior colleges, and special districts. Colorado has not had a statewide property tax since 1964. The new repeal means that local governments have more power in changing property tax assessment rates for both residential and non-residential properties. Many business owners supported the repeal of the Gallagher Amendment because it effectively forced a non-residential property tax that was worth several times the residential property tax due to the disproportionate makeup of residential properties and the total property value of Colorado. This frees local governments to increase residential property tax rates without also needing to proportionally increase the rates on non-residential properties, which has in the past limited possible increases to taxes for fear the non-residential tax rates would be forced to increase to unsustainable levels. Additionally, the Gallagher Amendment's assessment rates were statewide, meaning that the, as the value of residential property rose, the tax rate decreased statewide, even in counties that did not see any growth. In 24 of Colorado's counties, the tax base has actually shrunk since 2004 when adjusted for inflation. That means that some areas don't have any buffer of growth to protect them when the Gallagher Amendment slashes the assessment rate. Now, more rural, rural counties can better adjust their tax rates to fund essential services that they struggled to fund in the past. Members of the Colorado Legislative Council staff said that Amendment B was expected to result in more property tax revenue for local governments and therefore reduced state aid requirements for school funding. For fiscal year 2019 to 2020, the state was expected to provide 61% of funds for education, amounting to $7.6 billion, and local governments were expected to provide 39%, or about $3 billion. Amendment 23 of 2000 requires the statewide base per pupil funding to increase by the rate of inflation each year. For fiscal year 2019 to 2020, the base per pupil funding amount was about $7,000. The passage of Amendment B can and most likely will result in increased residential property taxes in the future. However, an important thing to note is that due to the Colorado Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, or TABOR as it is often referred to, means that Colorado governments, both state and local, cannot change taxes and tax rates without voter approval, and sets a cap on the amount of money the state can spend. That cap is determined by inflation and population growth, and any revenue collected beyond that cap is returned to the citizens of Colorado. In summary, the passage of Amendment B will most likely result in future increases of residential property taxes and will allow counties with less growth, which have been primarily rural, rural counties, to be able to more easily fund their services. Information from this segment was collected from Ballotpedia.org, Colorado Public Radio, and KUNC. To find out more about info about the ballot measures passed this year and other legislative information, you can visit leg.colorado.gov. We'll be right back.
right, and we are back with the COVID-19 update for Tuesday. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Colorado State University has a cumulative total of 851 cases since May of this year, with a new spike starting earlier this month. Larimer County's risk score is well into the high-risk category, pushing us into safer-at-home level 2 concern. Which, re- which requires additional COVID-19 restrictions in certain environments. There have been 89 new cases in the past 24 hours, and, and, and every day in the past two weeks has seen a minimum of 15 new cases each day. Three days in the past two weeks have seen 10% or more of tests within the county come back positive, and the county's 14-day case rate has raised up to 447 residents per 100,000. 52 COVID patients are now in the hospital in Larimer County, and overall hospital usage is at 70%. ICU usage is at 63%, and yesterday there were a total of 120 new cases of COVID-19 in Larimer County. The state of Colorado has a total of over 134,000 cases and over 2,400 deaths among cases. There have been almost 1,500 outbreaks across the state, and Colorado's overall hospitalizations are rising dramatically. Nationwide, there are a total of over 10.1 million cases, with over 130,000 new cases Wednesday. Deaths have reached nearly 240,000 in the U.S., with over 700 new deaths yesterday. In the past 14 days, cases have gone up by 64%, and deaths have raised by 18%. New daily cases in the United States have continuously broken records in recent days as the nation enters into a new case spike in time for flu season in the U.S. The Midwest continues to see some of the harshest spikes in both cases and deaths. A new study has found that those who are diagnosed with COVID-19 could be at a higher risk of being diagnosed with a mental illness compared to the general population. According to a study from the University of Oxford, 18% of COVID-19 survivors received a diagnosis for a mental illness, which would make them twice as likely as other groups within the study. Anxiety and depression are most common illnesses diagnosed following COVID-19 infection. In comparison, around 13% of those who contract influenza will be diagnosed with a mental illness in the first few months following infection. Information for today's segment was gathered from Colorado State University, Larimer County, Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, CNN, the New York Times, and the Centers for Disease Control. Wearing a face mask and keeping a minimum of six feet of distance from others continues to be helpful in the prevention of COVID-19 transmission. And hygiene measures like washing your hands regularly with soap or water, and, with soap and water, or using hand sanitizer remains a helpful way to combat the spread. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to Rocky Mountain Review on KCSU Fort Collins. We'll be right back.
Hello again, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins on the Rocky Mountain Review. Sometimes, we need to get a little bit of the weird, so here's a few of the weirdest stories I've found from around the world today. Greenberg Greenberg Smoked Turkey Incorporated, a turkey company based in Tyler, Texas, is being forced to close for the holiday season after 87,000 frozen turkeys exploded, according to Sarah Blaskovich at the Dallas Morning News. Greenberg turkey owner San Greenberg says a mechanical failure started a fire in one of the company facilities on November 6th. A freezer holding 87,000 turkeys exploded and burned the boxes and bags nearby, which are used to ship hundreds of thousands of turkeys during the company's busiest season. Luckily, no one was hurt. Paul Findlay, Tyler Fire Marshal and Public Information Officer, said that a team of 24 firefighters fought the blaze in its aftermath for nearly two days. The heaviest damage was inside one of the large freezers, which Findlay describes as not just walk-in freezers, they're drive-in freezers. The room was stacked, front to back, almost to the ceiling, with smoked turkeys in boxes. Findlay says after the fire, what was left was a, quote, pile of turkeys. End quote. The smokehouse, which is located more than 1,000 feet away, was not damaged. Greensburg said in conclusion, quote, We will rebuild. We will be smoking turkeys in 2021. Last week, President Donald Trump's personal legal team held a post-election conference in the Four Seasons Total Landscaping parking lot after appearing to have mistakenly booked the parking lot instead of the Four Seasons Luxury Hotel in Philadelphia. Now, Four Seasons Total Landscaping is now selling merchandise to commemorate the occasion, according to writers at the Daily Exchange. Four Seasons Total Landscaping released a statement a day after the press conference announcing commemorative hoodies, t-shirts, and stickers. The items currently for sale on the company's website include stickers that play on Trump's campaign slogans and patriotic hoodies and t-shirts with the company's name and American flag on them. A sticker includes the company's name with the taglines, quote, Make America Rake Again and, quote, Lawn in Order, end quote. A reference to Trump's campaign, campaign phrases, make America great again, in law and order. On Sunday, the company released a statement saying that it was honored to host the Trump press conference. It said it had been the target of, quote, negative comments, end quote, since hosting the briefing, but said it would have offered up its business to either candidate. The statement read, quote, We strongly believe in America and in democracy. We hope that our fellow Americans can join together and support all local small businesses during this time. End quote. And that's all the weird news I have for today. And now for the weather. Today, the weather is staying relatively cool with a high of 43 and a low of 23 with partly cloudy skies and winds reaching five miles per hour. Tomorrow will be about the same with a high of 43 and a low of 24, but winds will be speeding up to eight miles per hour and skies will be a bit more sunny. Thursday will also be about the same temperature at a high of 44 and a low of 23, still with 8 mile per hour winds, but Thursday will be very sunny and a bit less humid than today and tomorrow. No need to worry about more rain or snow for the next couple of days. And for Friday, you'll have to tune in to the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins, from 4 to 5 p.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Today's information was provided by the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. 
We'd like to thank Thomas Taylor, Asher Corrin, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Griffin Ham, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandal, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time. listeners out there here at KCSU we're in the middle of our DJ-a-thon week we are still we have a challenge grant from Starlight Direct Primary Care there's $25 left in that challenge grant what a challenge grant means is Starlight Health Direct Direct Primary Care will meet any donations within the $25 one to one so if you do $1 they do $1 if you do $2 they do $2 so your donation is doubled and KCSU's DJ-a-thon will be going all week long, coming up to the Friday, which is 24 hours straight of nonstop fundraising. We have all the time slots filled. We will have DJs here basically every hour.